Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking with Tom Walsh from Kronos. Tom is the Director of Data Science at Kronos, and the story here is fascinating. Kronos is an old-school legacy company, that big, big legacy company, does time and attendance-related things, and as a result of age and customer volume, they're sitting on this treasure trove of data which makes them one of the most interesting players in the emerging intelligence tools sector of HR technology. Tom, how are you? Doing well. Thanks, John. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to um, the audience? Sure. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Tom Walsh. I'm the Director of Data Science uh, here at Kronos. That means over here, I lead our advanced research group, uh, which is applying techniques from machine learning, AI, and all sorts of other areas of data science to solve workforce management problems. Uh, I've been here at Kronos for over four years. And before that, I did a PhD at Rutgers University and uh, then did a whole bunch of stops in academia and industry, kind of bouncing back and forth, uh, working on everything from robotics to education. And now here at Kronos on workforce management. So tell me a little bit about workforce management. I think I probably mischaracterized Kronos at the beginning. What's the company do actually? Well, no, I mean, you hit the two big parts of it, right? So Kronos is is the global leader in workforce management. And for a lot of customers, that means timekeeping and scheduling, right? So being able to keep track of when people worked and and also create schedules for when they could work or when they could or should work. Uh, But it also means a whole host of other things, right? So we do payroll, we do HR, uh, and lots of other facets of managing a modern workforce. Uh, And some of that's much more complex than you might think, Uh, you know, adding up all those hours for people is more than just summing things up. It's keeping track of all the rules around it, uh, keeping track of all the ways that rules make them get paid differently. And it all adds up to an awful lot of data. Um, so from our company's perspective, uh, for many years, if I was doing this uh, this radio show a year ago or so, I'd, I'd be introducing a, a product you guys may know as Workforce Central uh, that does all of those things that we just talked about, the timekeeping and scheduling and, and HR functions. Um, But the company has kind of reinvented itself. Uh, Last November, uh, we launched a new product called Workforce Dimensions uh, with the singular goal of putting Workforce Central out of business. Um, And that that new product, Workforce Dimensions, is uh, built on a new platform. It's deployed in the public cloud. It's a multi-tenant solution. It's totally re-architected and redone. Um, And a big part of that is being able to introduce cutting-edge AI solutions to it. So, so before we jump into the AI stuff, um, I, I'm going to bet that there are people listening to this <clears throat> who don't have any sense of the scale and and legacy of of Kronos. So, can you give me a little bit of uh, background about how big the company is and um, how long you've been in business um, and how sure many thing. customers? So, Kronos just had our uh, our 40th anniversary uh, last year. There was a lot of cake. Um, we uh, so we're 40 years old. Uh, the company has grown significantly, especially in the last few years. We're uh, well over 5,000 employees globally, uh, with centers of excellence in Massachusetts, Montreal, and India, and several other places, uh, including places like Indianapolis and Orlando in the U.S. Um, and uh, in terms of customers, yeah, we uh, we service a, a lot of customers. I think the last numbers I saw were something like over 30,000 customers total. Um, 
and that's ranging from you know huge manufacturers or or healthcare service providers or uh, big retailers, um, all the way down to small and medium businesses that use some of our uh, HCM offerings as well. That, that's that's a pretty big company, and and scheduling when you get to complex environments like like a hospital. Scheduling is not as obvious as it is in a retail outlet. Uh, you mind talking a little bit about how complicated the schedule can get? Oh yeah, so and you know it's even it's even complicated in the retail environment too. But you're right in in places like healthcare or manufacturing where people might have really specialized jobs, um, and when you have kind of complex rules about how many people need to work and how many people need to be say on call for. Uh, for a given hospital to service a, an unknown number of patients on each day. Uh, it takes a lot to kind of work through all the constraints, uh, not only the constraints of the business there, but the constraints of the people, right? So uh, somebody says they can't uh, can't work on Friday or, or can't come in on, uh, on a Saturday at any time, and you've got to kind of remake the schedule on the fly there. And so there's uh, a lot of technology behind Kronos' offerings, not just generating schedules, but giving uh, organizations the ability to, to edit them on the fly. So, so now let's, let's dig into the intelligent technologies that you use to tell me about, tell me about that. I assume that that's how you get to be the director of data science is that you know about this stuff. So, so um, let's talk about what you do with intelligent tools. Sure. So, um, yeah, no, that, that's right. So my background is in AI and, and machine learning, right? I, I, my background is actually in the, the theoretical aspects of a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, at Kronos, what we do is we, we try to stay focused on applications, right? So we're, uh, we're building AI for workforce management. We're not trying to build, um, you know, just general, uh, general systems that can, that can do anything. So we try to find, um, parts of the workforce management problems uh, that really need a big data approach, right? Things that can't be solved simply by rules or, uh, or by uh, kind of simple calculations, but something where you can leverage all of your big data. Uh, some of the use cases that we look at there are things like time card fraud, um, where, yeah, you can put in a lot of rules to say, hey, you can't edit a time card to uh, take away this many hours or something like that. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're giving your managers a good degree of flexibility, there's going to be all sorts of weird patterns and things they can do. And so we've been using a lot of pattern recognition techniques, uh, similar to what you might see in, uh, in, say, insurance fraud or something like that to detect uh, fraud patterns. Um, we're also in, the, uh, in our uh, uh, Workforce Dimensions product, we're releasing a machine learning volume forecaster. Um, that helps to that makes predictions uh, about the daily business volume that you can expect at a at a retail or other organization, um, and that's part of our scheduling system. So we talked about how the scheduling system has to figure out how many people might have to work on a given day. Well, we do that by predicting how much volume you're going to have. And for many of our customers, uh, an important pro that's a really important prediction to make. And for many of them, uh, they're sitting on stores and stores of data of years and years of data that have said how many people come into their business every day. And bringing a truly modern machine learning technique to that, uh, to that data has unlocked uh, significant accuracy gains in that, in that area. Um, so we, we try to stay focused on those kinds of, uh, those kinds of use cases. 
Um, and we uh, we follow you know a kind of set of best practices to try to uh, try to make sure that we're we're following the right path to to unlock that kind of value. Um, so we try to uh, make sure that we're we're matching the right AI techniques to the right the right business problems. Uh, but we also try to bring in our own level of innovation uh, based on all the knowledge that Kronos has. We talked about how we've been in business for 40 years. You learn an awful lot about the, the kinds of features that are needed to predict business volume or find time card fraud in that time. Um, and then we, we test our models uh, heavily on, on customer data to make sure they're, uh, they're accurate and then find ways to deliver them. So, so let's talk a little bit further about time card fraud. I, I believe there's some pretty interesting things that you, that you guys can do that are that are bigger than what a human being can do in terms of pattern recognition. Uh, how does that work? Right. So, what, so what you're looking for when you're looking at these kind of time card fraud situations is places where people are making subtle changes to the time card that over time. Uh, kind of aggregate into a big deal. I'll give you an example. Out in California, as you probably know, uh, there's all sorts of rules uh, around meal breaks, right? So for most workers, if they're working a, a given amount of time, they're supposed to take a meal break that's at least an hour long. Um, and what we find is that sometimes uh, folks uh, will come back from their meals early, either because their manager told them or just because they didn't know, and they'll they'll punch back in. And if you're if you're doing that uh, in the state of California, you're supposed to get what's called a meal penalty. You're supposed to get paid uh, for having taken a short break. And what we'll find is that there's often managers that are making edits to the time card to erase those meal penalties. Now, you can argue for any one of those edits if you just find it one time that, well, maybe it was reasonable. Maybe someone punched accidentally or, or you know, they, they didn't actually mean to do that or something like that. Um, and so you can't just forbid the system from making edits at, at any point there. But what these pattern detection algorithms do is they, they find managers that are doing that over and over, perhaps for lots of different employees, and kind of aggregate that up and compare the pattern to the rest of the organization. Um, and by doing that, you find places that are uh, different, uh, basically within the organization. You can highlight them and say, hey, this, is, uh, this kind of behavior is happening and you know, it's probably not good. That's interesting. So now, now volume forecast. That's that's another thing. You know, every everybody I know who's ever been a manager knows how to do a volume forecast. You take last year and you add ten percent to it. <laughs> so, so what, what is, right. So what what is what does a more sophisticated version of that do? What do you count for? Right. So let, let's 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 think about that for a second, though, um, with the like last take last year's and just kind of kind of use that going forward for, uh, to add 10 percent. Think about um, there's a, there's some cases where that works pretty well. Right. And we've we've definitely seen it in, in our in our data. But there's a lot of places where that may not be exactly the right thing to do. Um, so think about, uh, say, uh, a grocery store that might have um, monthly patterns. Right, so you have uh, uh, you have a uh, a store that might have a lot of business at the beginning of the month um, and and lesser patterns at the end of the month, uh, which happens frequently in in areas where there might be say government assistance programs or something. Those are actually more complicated patterns than you think to pick up because if you're looking a year back and keeping the same day of the week, like say looking a year back on Wednesday, you'll miss uh, sometimes beginning of the month and end of the month patterns because you'll kind of skip over them. You'll be at the beginning of the month looking at the end of a month for last year. 
And uh, so there's, there's all kinds of factors in this is what I'm saying. And we could go through you know, 30 different scenarios like that where it's, it's kind of nuanced, right? And what these machine learning algorithms are able to do is they're able to look at more factors than, than ever before. So instead of looking at just last year and add 10%, that's kind of two data points. Uh, they're looking at like 20, 30 or more features around the, uh, around the characteristics of the volume and are able to put that together in, in interesting ways that, and interesting combinations uh, that make more accurate forecasts. So they'll pick up on things like, hey, you have a monthly pattern, or hey, this is what the ramp up going into the Christmas holiday season looks like, something like that. So, so what do you do? Uh, forecasting, forecasting, you know, Yogi Berra said, um, predicting, the, predicting is easy, it's predicting the future that's hard. Um, um, the 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 likelihood that your forecast is going to be um, perceived as wrong seems to me to be high. Um, so how do you explain to customers that it's a forecast that it isn't a guarantee? Right. So that's uh, that's an important point too. Is um, you know we've had I've definitely talked to customers that wanted their forecast to be say a hundred percent accurate. Right. And there's there's no exact way. There's no you know exact way to walk back that expectation, I suppose. Um, but what we try to do is is show um, show results against reasonable benchmarks, right? Um, and so we'll often have customers that are say happy with their current forecast, which might be using something like, hey, just look at last year, uh, same day of the week. Um, and we'll run uh, we'll run tests that actually show the accuracy um, of our new methods versus the old methods and show the improvements. Um, and what we try to do is show that the uh, is show them kind of on a day by day basis, uh, kind of how close the the, the methods are getting. Um, and we talk about it also in terms of the downstream results, right? You don't need a hundred percent accurate volume forecast to get uh, to get a good schedule. Um, you just need it to be very you need it to be close, right? And so we try to uh, we try to talk about those kind of downstream impacts and say, well, look, you know, a tiny fraction of a percent change here is probably not going to change your schedule and that sort of thing. So, so how do you draw the line? What, what constitutes good enough or what constitutes, um, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, um, that, that every customer will, um, be delighted to have a bad forecast and to have overspent on, on staffing and and I know that's not true so there's some sweet spot that you have to hit um, so that your customers are not unhappy with you even if there's variance between the forecast and the reality right right and so you know the the tricky thing is it kind of varies by customer so there's not a one size fits all thing for this um, but what we try to do is kind of uh, adopt some of the metrics we we hear from customers so I I've heard from some customers that'll say look we need you to uh, get a certain level of accuracy at, at our store level forecasts because um, otherwise my manager yells at me, right? And they know exactly where that line is because they know when they get yelled at. Um, uh, what we've done is is kind of try to um, uh, adopt metrics in, in terms of accuracy that, that try to fit as many of those use cases that we've heard as possible. Um, because as I said, it's, it, you know, it, it really varies across the industry as to what that accuracy percentage is. Uh, in grocery, we expect far more accurate forecasts than in, say, specialty retailer. Um, 
And so it's uh, it's kind of difficult to pin down an exact number there if you look into that. That's interesting. So so that means that the the customer service associated with a forecasting module varies by customer. Is that right? Uh, I don't know if I call it exactly customer service, but the, the certainly the accuracy expectation varies greatly by, by customer, yeah. And it's just because you're predicting different things. Um, business is far more regular in certain organizations uh, compared to others. Got it. Got it. So, so I doubt that you are building the, the core intelligence technologies from scratch. Um, talk to me about how you use open source tools in your lab. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, today's open source tools have really kind of, uh, there's been kind of an explosion as to the number of open source tools available out there. Um, and we certainly try to leverage um, as, as many of them as we can in the research side and on the production side. Um, so, and the two kind of go hand in hand a little bit. So on, on the research side, uh, we encourage our researchers here to use uh, anything and everything, basically, because we want them to stay on the cutting edge. Um, so we'll use all sorts of big data tools here from Apache Spark to TensorFlow to any of the other packages you can think of, uh, just to see you know, how well are they performing, uh, both in terms of things like accuracy on, say, a volume forecast, but also in terms of production scale. Kronos has some big customers that say in the retail sector, thousands of stores just in this one country. Um, there'll be uh, so there, there's got to be a, a level of scale and maturity to some of these tools that we we also vet. Um, so on our side, what we do is we build proof of concepts out of these. Sometimes it's because we have a particular use case like time card fraud or forecasting that we really need uh, a certain technology for. And sometimes it's because hey, a new technology is uh, a new open source technology or library has been released. And uh, it's gotten a lot of hype, and we want to see if there's anything behind it. Um, and what we do in those cases is we're not only vetting, say, the accuracy from a data science standpoint, but we're also vetting it for how well it might act in production. Because our production systems and workforce dimensions, they, they have open source components tied into them. Um, and what we do is we try to inform the, the architects and the product managers here at Kronos about the pros and cons of some of these different technologies. So we have a, a both the technology research bent as well as kind of a, a data science uh, aspect to our research. Hmm. So so you're in the Boston area generally, and um, you know HR technology is sort of a, a technical backwater to a lot of people. How do you compete for re development talent? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a tough market for uh, for not just for developers, but definitely for, for data scientists and, and people on the kind of more quantitative fields here. Um, and, and I kind of, uh, I, I agree, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, one big advantage Kronos has is that um, we're, we're consistently ranked uh, among the best places to work in, in all of our geographies. And we've won a, a whole host of awards uh, around that because this is, it, it's really a great atmosphere here. Um, it's, it's really a place where uh, people, People are respected and people's time are, is respected. Um, and so I think that helps a lot, actually, in, in our recruitment, uh, being able to offer something a, a little bit different than in, in terms of the work experience. Um, you know, the other, the other way, because uh, you mentioned HR being sort of a, a backwater, right, and, and, and not being maybe as, as cutting edge as people think. And 
one of the things we do in the recruitment process is we try to educate folks on, on the fact that it's we don't consider it a backwater at all. Um, one of the great uh, advantages of working at Kronos is the diversity of data you see from a purely scientific perspective. Um, I don't know anywhere else I could work that, that I would see, you know, I'd be able to sit down with a major retailer one day and a giant healthcare company the next day and one of the biggest manufacturers of automobiles the next day and and go and, and see three completely different problems, three completely different organizations um, and, and have to dig into all three pieces of data. Uh, to find to find insights, um, and it's really it's really kind of fascinating that that kind of diversity um, that that you see in in the use cases that we have to deal with. And I think from a scientific and recruiting perspective, that that helps because it's no day is the same as the last one here. That's interesting. That's interesting. So so I am I am very focused on the ethics of this technology. What do you think the, the three big ethical issues are in your work? So yeah, and, and, and we certainly are too here, especially because we're we're dealing with people's data, right? And we're dealing with uh, we're dealing with software that impacts people's lives. Right. So when we're creating a schedule, that's that's a schedule somebody's got at work. When we're keeping track of time, that's somebody's paycheck that's being influenced by, by how that software is working. And, and Kronos is deeply aware of that. Um, and so I'd say that's the, the first ethical issue that we kind of strive to stay focused on from, and I, I tell my people all the time is, remember this is gonna impact people. Uh, don't think of everything as just a number. Uh, don't think of just, you know, everything as being an, an accuracy gain or something like that. Um, so I, I think that's a, a, a big important part of it. Now that being said, all of the data we look at is, is fully anonymized, and, and we can't actually put a name on people. Um, but uh, it, it is important to remember that somewhere behind the scenes, when we deploy a model, that's that's actually going to impact people. Um, another another piece uh, you asked for uh, for three, I think, is um, uh, around unconscious bias. Um, I think that's a, a big problem for AI in general. Um, and you're seeing this play out uh, for much larger companies as, as well outside of the HR space. Right? This is a problem that Google and Facebook and everybody is is kind of dealing with um, the, the fact that these these algorithms, because of the way they're trained, because of the statistical biases inside them, um, can have a uh, adverse impact on, on different populations or just on, on, on different people. Um, and, and that form of unconscious bias certainly is unsettling. Um, so, you know, we at Kronos, we try to stay abreast of all the, the latest techniques for, for dealing with that, um, as well as testing our methods as much as possible to kind of make sure that they're working on, on different subsets and that sort of thing. So on that one, how do you, how do you think about the fact that the models that you build have a bias that comes from the things that aren't measured, right? So, so the great thing about data modeling is that you can replicate history um, to some percentage of accuracy, um, but that's based exclusively on the measurements that you have at hand. And what everybody knows about measurements is that we measure the things that are easy to measure. The things that are hard to measure get left 
lying around, and, and so they, they, they present these sort of emergent phenomena that end up being biased, and so the, the technology itself ends up with biases that are very, very hard to check because there's no reference point to check them with. Do, do, you, do you spend time thinking about that, or is that just a, a footnote that you bypass on the way to solving other problems? No, it's definitely not a footnote. I mean, that that kind of thing can can easily keep you up at night, right? So the um, the and you're right. Like for the things that you can measure, it, you can check for bias, right? If you're if you, if I have a if I had a data set that was marked as and I I don't, but if I did, if I had a data set that was marked as this population of males and this population of females, I could you know do statistical checks that make sure it's not biased uh, between the two. Um, but there's always going to be either demographic information or other attributes that I that I don't have, right? And so that's why it's it's really important, I think, for tech companies in general. And this is kind of out, outside of the HR space, but to be monitoring some of these models in the wild, right? And and monitoring uh, potential kind of uh, monitoring for potential biases in the in the models, and you know. Uh, Making sure that uh, that some of these things that may not have been measured back in the lab um, are still being sort of checked for in real deployment situations. Cool. And then there's a third one on your list. Yeah. So another one we think a lot about as an ethical issue is transparency. Um, and this kind of goes along with the other two, remembering that it's people and, and unconscious bias. But, um, you know, it, it's important, um, I think, for people to sort of trust these models. Right. And at some level, at some level, there are statistical things happening inside anything from a, a, a deep neural network to a support vector machine that are going to be hard to explain, right, to, to people, uh, just because the, they're crunching, you know, dozens or hundreds of attributes and combining them in fancy ways. But what we try to do uh, is certainly in the the models we make here at Kronos, we try to answer at least on, in, in the lab. How is this? How is this working? Why is it making a given prediction? And we think, um, I think the field is making good strides in this place, and I, I think that our company is as well. And we're we're hopeful to uh, to be able to deploy some solutions soon that will be both giving predictions for things like volume forecasting, but also giving some explanations as to why uh, a given forecast might have been generated on a given day. Great. Just to wrap this conversation up, it's been a fascinating talk. What makes your company different? So I think it's a couple things that I that I've mentioned here. One is the you know it, it really is a great place to work. Um, it, it's a, a place with a great company culture and a real, um, as I said, a, a real commitment to to its people and to and to kind of respecting its people's time and, and energy. But uh, from a purely data science scientific perspective, it's all of the it's all the kind of different kinds of data and diff, different business problems that we see. As I said, timekeeping, scheduling, payroll, HR, all of these aspects, they're so much deeper than you might think of. And you might think of just within one company, right? The, the timekeeping for one company might be uh, fairly standardized, but when you're doing them for 30,000 or, or something like that, there are so many different aspects to it across the globe. And it's, it's just a, a fascinating place to work where, where nothing is the same day to day um, in terms of data. And that's a good thing. Okay, so thanks for doing this, Tom. It's been a great conversation. Would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself and tell people how they might get a hold of you? Sure. So I'm, I'm Tom Walsh. I'm the Director of Data Science at Kronos, and uh, you can reach me by, by email. It's thomas.walsh at kronos.com. 
Thanks very much. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Tom Walsh, who is the Director of Data Science at Kronos. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks again for doing this, Tom. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, John. Have a great one. Okay, you too. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.